Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Innovation on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. Welcome everyone, I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and thanks for joining us. Today's broadcast is titled, Can Blockchain Cure What Ails American Healthcare? To attempt an answer to this rather profound question, we've assembled some of the brightest minds and practitioners active in the blockchain space today. Ted Tanner Jr. is co-founder and chief technical officer of PocketDoc and its spin-off DocChain. Follow Ted on Twitter via at TCTJR and at PocketDoc, that's P-O-K-I-T-D-O-K. Tatiana Canzavelli is CEO of, of the Open Health Network. Follow her on Twitter via at GLFCEO and at OpenHealthN. And Dan Monroe is a writer who lives outside of Phoenix, Arizona. He is authored and writes about technology, cybersecurity, and policy for a variety of online and print publications. His most recent book is Casino Healthcare. My background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author ACOWatch.com, HealthInnovationMedia.com, and PrecisionMedicine.center. Do follow me on Twitter via at the number two health guru. So let's get right to it. In 2017, we've witnessed the collapse of the Aetna Humana merger, followed by a now confirmed acquisition effort by CVS to acquire the Motherhouse Aetna. And then just this week, the joint announcement of an alliance between Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase to launch a brand new model of healthcare delivery and financing for its combined employees that will be, quote, free from profit-making incentives and constraints, end quote. In the joint announcement is Warren Buffett claiming the condition of the country's healthcare system is a root cause of economic inequality, with wealthier people enjoying better, longer lives because they can afford good coverage. So there you have it. In the U.S., we have both the best and worst of what we can find in the organization, delivery, and financing of healthcare services, with the U.S. lagging in key indicators of health status when compared to other industrial nations, and a 2x-plus multiple spend when compared to its peer group. Now let's talk about blockchain, and here's a definition I think is a working one, courtesy of Universal Health Coin, which is a pending initial coin offering. Quote, blockchain technology is a digital record of economic transactions and other assets of value, such as health services. Transactions become a permanent record that are placed into a secured block in the system. The block is basically a list of records of transactions. When a particular block reaches its capacity of data, for example, the Bitcoin block holds one megabyte, it is marked with a digital signature called a hash, which encrypts the data in the block, securing it and adding it to the chain of blocks. So Ted, 
Let's start with you. Give us your working definition of blockchain and how do you see it remedying the Buffett diagnosis of what's wrong with American healthcare? Thanks, Greg. Um, so the way that I look at blockchain is a distributed ledger that is an immutable storage facility that has a common lingua franca called smart contracts. And what I see is the bi the biggest asset. Now, block block blockchain technology, it's, it's very interesting that um, in the original Satoshi paper, the terminology blockchain has never been mentioned, okay? Uh, that, that didn't occur later. And something uh, we found in Pocketdoc in 2011, and I always looked at distributed ledger technology and specifically smart contracts as a way to have resiliency and security and deployment. And one of the ways that I see this being, um, let's say, not a necessarily a fix, but an amplification of the Hippocratic Oath, as I call it, and to assist Warren and, and his efforts is resiliency and security because um, even if even if we look at a couple of things uh, in 2015 there was a report I believe it was by IBC that presented payers alone wasted 375 billion dollars just in paper just the payers and if anybody's ever been to a doctor's office and filled out a clipboard you've attributed to that waste I know I have uh, the other thing that concerns me is HEMS published a report that says 35 to 40 percent of all health data is unencrypted. So if we just took this, and you just described it, Greg, if we just took this distributed ledger that's hashed and encrypted and came up with a common lingua franca, common language, and, and by the way, for the first time in history, I, I have never I have never seen this actually occur, but across multiple industries, we now have the common lingua franca of smart contracts. Even if we deploy a basic communications model, I believe it will do well for the industry. And I'll stop there. Tatiana, you're up. Same question. Lay out your vision of the blockchain and its upside to resolve this problematic Buffett diagnosis um so i'll be a little bit more realistic um uh, you know i'm a technologist but i strongly believe that single technology cannot solve major issues that includes many industries and healthcare so um there are a lot of you know hype about the use of blockchain and uh but i at the same time i believe there are real good use cases where distributed secure ledger, distributed database secure, such as blockchain, um, can be used to improve certain things in healthcare, um, such as, you know, clinical data sharing, uh, a lot of publications, public health, research in clinical trials, uh, like uh, that mentioned administrative financial information. Uh, and um, we just need to really identify use cases where blockchain is the technology that can greatly improve certain things. And um, that's 
kind of my way of looking at things, not just using technology for the sake of technology, but looking at unique properties of a technology that can benefit certain uh, issues that we are facing in healthcare. So, for example, when I was looking at uh, amazing unique data sets that have been created by patients uh, in our apps and apps developed in Open Health Network, I realized that that data sits within those apps and there is no secure, controlled way of patients releasing that data on their terms to organizations that might be interested in their data. So. I think we came up with a real use case where blockchain technology can actually benefit patients, researchers, providers, pharma, and so on. And I can expand on that later. And Dan, as the resident journalist and perhaps skeptic in this conversation, uh, give us a bit on your background and how you see what some are labeling blockchain hype, certainly limitations, etc., can the technology and its related business models solve for the Buffett diagnosis? Yeah, so uh, much appreciated. And my background does include um, heads down software development for uh, a number of years before migrating uh, into the sales and marketing side of software. So I'm coming at this from a computer science uh, data engineering background. And I've had a chance to look at um, elements of blockchain, and I still think um, that there's great opportunities for blockchain as a technology. But so far, what I've seen is uh, really more along the lines of what it may be able to do uh, at some point in time in the future. And we've seen other technologies that have um, evolved through the years that have how you know that have sort of come to come to the market with the same sort of promise one of them is one that i was intimately involved with which was xml and um, there's an overlap here in the sense of hearing about the same sort of promises for xml that are now being applied to blockchain i think blockchain is a great technology but i also think that as it relates to healthcare. There's nothing unique about blockchain that can't be done with existing technology in the sense of solving some of our technical challenges. So, Ted, over to you. Nothing unique about blockchain that can't be resolved or solved by existing technologies? Yeah, so um, let's see. Um, I mentioned we, we, thought, we thought about uh, distributed ledger technology and smart contracts have been around since 1997. Uh, when we founded um, PocketDoc, there was no. Uh, we 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 are the we are the operating system for the business of health. So now we have about 600 third-party applications. Um, you know, most of the telehealth industry, uh, precision medicine companies. Um, large hospital systems run use us and we have apis um to be honest help when we started help help tech couldn't spell api to save his life and we introduced this concept much like strife or um, twilio where you could um 
uh, sign up on our platform. So we have APIs that have search. We, we given our backgrounds in machine learning and semantic engineering, we rebuilt the search space. So we have about 4.3 million providers. We update it monthly. Companies use us now for provenance of licensure data. Uh, then we set about looking at the whole concept of shop, book, and pay. So you find find a provider, uh, then you have to find a price. When we started Pocket Doc, they told us you couldn't find a price of a health service, and it might be illegal to find that price, which made me more interested. So now we have about 10,000 cash prices across uh, the top 50 bundled services across 48 urban areas, and we have the CPT code price down to the GeoZip out-of-pocket price. Uh, as well for ICD-9 and 10. And then we set about uh, looking at the what I consider the largest impediment to a transaction, much like an arbitrage environment, closing that accounts receivable window down to a day like everything else in our life, which is the, the oxymoron of a clearinghouse. And um, we sold our last company to, uh, which was a semantic and machine learning company as a service back in 2007. We sold it to a benefits GPA company. So we had a lot of, a lot of background in the uh, EDI area. And we set about doing uh, eligibility claims and enrollment and referrals. And now we have the uh, highest um, standard clearinghouse in the nation, CAQH level four. The other clearinghouse can't even get that designation. So we solved that. Uh, we're connected to 1,300 payers through that clearinghouse technology, and we have the rights to most of the data. So we said about looking at interoperability with EMRs. Everybody said that was a, a huge problem. Uh, we're one of the largest committers to fire on the Python side. We now are interoperable across 55 EMRs under one REST endpoint. We solved that. So then we said about the aspect of APIs for identity, which I believe is the cornerstone across everything, every industry across every blockchain. And we have proofing, validation, and verification. And Greg, as you know, we have, uh, I presented at reInvent, we have something called contextual relevant identity with consensus, which computes the aspect of Jane Doe on the blockchain based on her behavior. So if you're at a bar, let's say in Charleston, South Carolina, you want to be anonymous, you're 21, but have a MasterCard, or you show up to Trinity Hospital with a weird bite and a fever, those are very two different um, identity profiles, correct? So we have the ability with consensus on um, specifically Hyperledger Sawtooth to actually compute that through about 4 billion identities. You know? So what we did was we took all of those APIs and we wrote smart contracts for them. And um, we have several uh, large companies now in proofs of value moving to production this year. So we're seeing a lot of proactive behavior to be honest, much faster than we expected. Um, over the past two years, we uh, put together an alliance with about 54 companies um, large BPOs, large provider systems, payers, to look at four main use cases. Uh, number one, as I said, identity by consensus. Um, what you do is who you are type of scenario. And the power of identity by consensus is that you can, any, any company or any body who has very high Epicurean data can actually be an identity provider on a, on a, 
hyperledger sawtooth. And then the next use case was autonomous auto adjudication, closing that uh, claim and AR window down to a day. Um, one one uh, set of APIs I failed to mention, we actually uh, own a pharmacy and do uh, pharmaceutical transparency pricing as well as non-adherence. So that would be the third use case, supply chain management of pharmaceuticals, as well as uh, diagnostic supply chain. And then the fourth use case, uh, working with a company, Evacor, uh, who's involved in Alliance doing pre-authorization. And recently I was at the W2O panel and the, um, the head of uh, Sutter stopped me and said, if you just solve pre-authorization, we can all go home. So um, we're doing, we have all the compliances, high trust, EQA, HINAC, we've been very methodical. As I said, we have, we have six, over 600 third-party applications that we can enable um, with the identity, with an ERC-20 wallet, and we even wrote um, algorithms on Hyperledger Sawtooth that didn't exist to actually do crypto asset deployment. So if a company did want to do their own ICO, and Greg, you've seen this on Twitter, actually people talking about that, that uh, framework, um, is very multimodal in how we're viewing things. So we believe in competition. Any one of our APIs or smart contracts have vertical competition. But to be honest, I haven't seen anyone who is deploying such a horizontal fashion in, in production today. Thanks, Ted. So, Tatiana, for those who may not track necessarily with the esoteric nature of the underlying technology here, where do you see the low-hanging fruit from the 50,000-foot 50, level down to real-world applications inside both the healthcare financing and delivery sectors? Um, so my goal um, of using blockchain technology is to democratize healthcare data. We have tens of thousands of uh, unique data sets uh, created by patients across heart disease, cancers, autism, addictions, and many other diseases. So imagine that now patients will have an ability to share that data based on their terms. So we mentioned smart contracts. Uh, so patients will be able to say, okay, this, this and this data can be used by or shared with this and this, this healthcare organizations on such and such terms. So that's one side of the marketplace. Now imagine that anyone who is interested in patients' data, such as pharma, researchers, Peers, providers, they can create their own smart contract on our platform. And uh, through our secure multi-layer ways of outreaching to patients without knowing their identities, we are able to identify people with certain conditions or certain state who can adhere to those smart contracts and engage them in those communications. And the best thing is that uh, we created the reward system where patients can actually get paid if their data is used in a way uh, they feel it's appropriate. So this type of infrastructure will completely democratize healthcare data. And I think the opportunity is enormous. We're working with who is who in healthcare across all those uh, different uh, players, such as 
you know, pharma researchers, peers providers, and also patient community management people and patient outreach people. And I think that blockchain will just uh, transform how patients um, share their share they, they data, participate in research. And uh, I'm just super excited about uh, the use of this technology for uh, population health and uh, other areas of healthcare. Thanks, Tatiana. So, Dan, l- let's assume there's a they're there in terms of blockchain, uh, and that the uh, XML analogy may be uh, not wholly accurate necessarily. Uh, w- where do you see the likely low-hanging fruit? Yeah. So, uh, again, I haven't seen the kind of uh, you know the kind of solution set at scale that really addresses what I call our healthcare cost crisis. And I think we're at the, you know, we're at the point where that healthcare cost crisis is a category five on the Richter scale. It's 9.0, you know, whatever, whatever other metric you want to use. We're at the point where as a country, we're now spending this year, we will spend $11,000 per capita just on healthcare. So I see and hear about a lot of initiatives, blockchain being one. Apple is now getting into the personal health record space. Amazon is is announcing uh, uh, their initiative this week. Um, Two years ago, there was another initiative called the Health Transformation Alliance. That included 40 companies with about 6 million covered lives. Aetna's, you know, merging with CVS. We see all of these news headlines. The reality is they have not hit the bottom line relative to our cost and what it is that as consumers we pay for healthcare. So that's where I uh, sort of draw the line in the sand relative to new and emerging technologies that have to demonstrate a financial impact that translates to consumer cost and benefit. Um, I can I comment here? Please. I I I totally agree. Like you outlined beautifully the uh, issue with healthcare, but um, I'm coming with the angle on how we can. Uh, keep people healthy to start with. So I'm not questioning what you just said, right? Uh, right. I went through, I went through, you know, cancer surgery, and I received the bill for hundred sixty thousand, right? So I know it. So I'm right. not questioning. So I'm more focusing on how I can democratize health data for patients to keep them healthy. So. Yeah. I'm finding from the other side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the health, you know, the health outcome side is critical and important. My only argument is that it tends to be a longer timeline, a longer horizon to that impact than the crisis that we're facing relative to cost. Um, yeah, and I. I, I I can give you just one example, just simple example where I see uh, uh, 
not necessarily a long timeline, right? So uh, if you look at American Heart Association, beautiful app that has been developed on our platform, My Cardio Coach. The goal is to uh, uh, help people who had heart attack uh, to reduce their chances of repeated heart attack, right? So imagine that uh, those people can share some of the data that they collect and it's a unique data set, patient report stuff collected within the app. They can share, but at the same time, people who will be using the data that might, might be very important because they, they have data on their lifestyle changes, on their medications and everything else and use that to help other people, but patients will be rewarded if they do things that will improve their health, right? So I think that's a very short kind of timeline to actually improve outcomes and cost of care. Thanks, Tatiana. So, Ted, let's go back to the comment from the Sutter chief uh, solving for the preauthorization problem, and then we can all go home. I get where that is a sort of frictionless solution to a high-friction transaction, typically manual, phone calls, faxes, and more. But does this solve for the the Buffett problem? Does this solve for what Dan's addressing in terms of uh, better care, uh, lower cost, and greater access? Yeah, um, the other salient comment during that panel was the former CIO under Obama said that the um, the the middle person. Uh, middleware layer in the health industry would be washed out. Um, some other uh, some other panels that I have been on um, have also other people have used terminology such as uh, if you operate on a float, you aren't going to exist pretty soon. Um, and we've seen we've seen this historically in other industries, whether it be telecommunications, the media industry, and so forth. And that's why um, I mentioned the oxymoron of the clearinghouse being the largest impediment. Um, We built that one API to be highly competitive just so we could disintermediate ourselves and prove that it's not needed in this industry. We did a cost analysis because ultimately as everybody else, we want to connect the provider to the consumer as efficiently and frictionless as possible. We did an analysis that the waste per year is about 175 billion baseline. Um, in the Alliance, we presented that number and people basically laughed and said it was more like 650 billion. Um, given that we're a uh, smaller company, while I have some hubris, I'm, I, am done, I don't have enough hubris to actually say that big of a number because that's that really is just a staggering number. Um, I, I think that we have a lot of inefficiencies and a lot of parasitic inefficiencies, which is why I was so specific when I was talking about our APIs. Um, things like pre-authorization, even before the patient shows up, uh, true real-time consistent eligibility in real-time, not after the fact when you walk out the door, Closing and while this seems like a lot of revenue cycle management issues um, Computing the ability for the consumer to get paid uh, for, for the consumer to pay for the service up front or for the provider to get paid from the payer um, We found we have those types of algorithms and the people that use them found that 
the provider would rather take a 45% reduction today in, in payments and interact with the consumer quicker. We've also done um, patient access solutions and pop health solutions for these large organizations. And we present um, out of pocket price. You know, most people have a 7,000 to 10,000 deductible um, or pay today price or pay at a later date. And most of these large hospital systems that we're working with have an 80% conversion same day self-pay without even using the insurance because of the question you're asking me. <laughs> the pre-authorization is not an issue. Um, little known fact, if you pay with cash, you don't have to report that uh, as a medical service and um, a, the capitated payment issue and HIPAA, you know, the HIPAA um, rules and it just reduces the friction that we see uh, from an operation standpoint. So um, we see pre-authorization being, being a huge linchpin with identity, but I can unequivocally say that we are working very fervently on operational inefficiencies. And I, um, I mean, think about that. We're, we built something, we're gonna disintermediate ourselves. So we're taking this very seriously. Uh, thanks, Ted. We're, we're almost up against our time limit here. Let me throw this out. The $3.7 trillion annual spend, you layer into that the admin component, which is somewhere between 12 and 15%, generating somewhere between 500 and $700 billion in what some may consider unnecessary spend. Will we be seeing through tokenized, blockchain-based, transactional, seamless transactional systems, a disintermediation such that we will not see an Aetna or United or a Blues plan in the next three to five years? Yeah, um, the, the reason that I believe in smart contracts as the asset, both in computation as well as uh, the IP asset for this network is because um, you will see the banking industry quickly entering into into this market um, of note amazon and and jp morgan and berkshire hathaway there's no there's no um you know we see the self-insured and ancillary market putting a forcing function and for the first time in history we have technology timing lining up with the millennials and their expectation of service so there is a, a big question on whether or not, in some cases, as I just mentioned with same-day self-pay and pre-authorization, whether or not you even need, um, let's say, a certain entity in the, uh, in the flow of the transaction. Um, we're going to see, I know for a fact, this year, and I, I know for a fact on our platform, we will see deployment of exactly what you just said. It's interesting. These are three rather aggressive for-profit companies who have essentially announced a utility company internal to this alliance that is going to essentially disintermediate the role of typical third-party payers, administrative-only type of accounts. So, Dan, do you, do you see... Uh, uh, a risk here for the business models of the Aetnas, Humanas, and the Blues of the world out there? No, not as long as we have 
um, employer-sponsored insurance at the heart of our system, that, um, that model is a systemic flaw and we remain the only industrialized country to rely on employer-sponsored insurance for the bulk of uh, health and health coverage. And so about 155 million Americans get their coverage today through their employer. And the vast majority of those employers aren't the size of Amazon or Berkshire Hathaway or JP Morgan. In fact, quite the contrary, about 96 or 7 percent of companies in the United States have less than 500 employees. So do you see a tokenized blockchain-empowered platform doing an end run here? That's the challenge because each of those employers has a very heavily vested interest for tax purposes in the sense of uh, providing health coverage. And until we address that kind of systemic flaw, um, I think technology has a limited window and a limited opportunity to change that paradigm. Thanks, Dan. Tatiana, any closing thoughts here? I kind of concur with Dan's point and uh, where I see, you know, not the technology play, but the long play in healthcare when, you know, you have payer and provider in one, when they both have uh, fundamental interest in people, uh, keeping people healthy. And uh, that's, you know, unrelated to blockchain, but uh, with, uh, uh, you know, the way the healthcare is set up right now, we just need to utilize blockchain where actually can deliver value. And unfortunately, like in the big picture of things, it might not be that soon. Thanks, Tatiana. Ted, any final thoughts? Well, um, it's interesting from, if you look at any complex system, and uh, there's a great book called The Collapse of uh, Complex Societies. It's a short read. It's very dense, though, that, um, you know, whether it be the, the Byzantine Empire or, or any other, it takes a long time for these things to be created, but they've collapsed in a matter of uh, years. If you... If you look at some of the, if you look at the way in which um, some of these systems have been created over the years, then uh, I think that the consumer should have better access. And I think, as I said, the forcing function is going to be the consumer speaking with their clicks in this case, and a very different paradigm is occurring. Um, just as in the different um, the different models with cryptocurrencies, right? And um, I'm, you know, cryptocurrencies are not blockchain. The deployment model is not going to solve the the fundamental complexities of what we're talking about because um, people associate health with uh, they they associate wellness with insurance, and so and that paradigm is a different issue than what we're talking about here. Friction reduction is paramount. And I do believe that is going to cause a forcing function. Payers are trying to buy providers. Providers are turning into payers. Essentially, insurance companies are turning into annuities. So from that payment model, it's definitely going to change. 
and we are going to see some tears in the veil in the next couple of years. Copy that, Ted, and I totally agree. Yet in a transaction-intensive industry such as healthcare, there are many opportunities to create more of a frictionless experience, both clinically and financially. Yet the looming question, which I think Dan speaks to, is will this technology actually reduce costs, create access, and improve the quality and experience of healthcare amidst often contradictory incentives and simply administrative nightmares. Yet, at heart, as a disintermediation play, mustn't blockchain innovation also be simplification of an otherwise complex and over-engineered ecosystem? So I guess the closing question is, is there a global remedy here anytime soon? And if so, what does it look like since there is so much low-hanging transactional fruit to pick from? Dan, how about your final thoughts? Yeah, my last one is that, um, you know, it's just simply that there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of ways to make money in healthcare, And I'm, I'm not arguing that point and never would. But where the rubber meets the road for me is how any of these solutions translate to lower costs for all of us as patients. And that's the big challenge ahead of us because so far those numbers as it relates to our costs as patients aren't getting lower, they're only getting higher. And this year we'll see about 12% of the American population totally uninsured. And I expect that number to go up as we start to carve back elements of Obamacare under this administration. So again, it's a cost issue, but not internal cost as much as it is uh, external cost to all of us as patients. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I do want to thank my guests, Ted Tanner Jr., co-founder and CTO of PocketDoc. Follow Ted on Twitter via at TCTJR and at PocketDoc, P-O-K-I-T-D-O-K. Tatiana Canzavelli, CEO of the Open Health Network. Follow her on Twitter via at GLFCEO and OpenHealthN. And Dan Monroe, a writer who covers technology, cybersecurity, and policy for a variety of online and print publications. His most recent book is Casino Healthcare. Follow on Twitter via at Dan Monroe. I want to thank all my guests for their collective time and insights today. Until we meet again on This Week in Health Innovation, this is Greg Masters saying bye now and go Eagles. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.